Colossians chapter number one, we're in our series, Strengthen, and talking about spiritual growth in our lives. And uh, how many of you recognize today it's important that we continue to grow spiritually in our life? It's important. And so we are in Colossians chapter one. We're going to read verses 10 through 14. Colossians chapter one, verses 10 through 14. And uh, we've read these verses a few weeks in a row. And so I'm going to read verses 10 through 12, and then I'll have you read with me verses 13 and 14. Paul says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which made us meet. That means appropriate to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, read with me, please. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. How many are glad for that? Amen. Today is our fourth message on the series Strengthened. We've looked at, the first week we looked at the essentiality of Christian growth. We need to keep growing And I hope we all recognize today the need for spiritual growth in our life. And then we looked at the enemies of spiritual growth. And how many of you today, even as you were trying to get ready to come to church, you felt uh, a spiritual opposition coming to church today? Uh, Only three of you. Well, I felt it this morning. Amen. And and usually usually that's the way it goes on Sunday. How, how, How come you can never find the shoes for the kids on Sunday morning? Amen. And so we have that spiritual opposition. The devil is against you. He's against you growing in your life. And, and so we understand there are, there are many uh, enemies to that. And then I said three uh, truths that we've used the last three weeks, three truths about spiritual growth. And I think you might remember these. Number one, spiritual growth is not what? Automatic. Let's say that together. It's not what? Automatic. Spiritual growth takes effort. It takes uh, consistency and commitment. And just like a child needs care, uh, our Christian growth, our Christian life. We need to care for it. Uh, number two here, spiritual growth is not linear. It's not linear. In other words, uh, you don't reach a certain stage in your life, in your Christian life, and that's it. You don't grow anymore, and, and also you don't need to keep growing. No, well, I'm a deacon now. I don't need to keep growing, or I'm a Sunday school teacher or whatever. No, that's not the way the Christian life works. It's not linear. Sometimes you, you, you get on fire for the Lord, and you're serving God, and sometimes it's not that way. How many know what I'm talking about? But here's the wonderful part. You can get right back on track because there's mercy and grace and you can start growing again. And all God's people said, amen. So it's not linear. We want to keep growing. The Christian life is not a ship in the ocean. You can't stop. You can't anchor out and stay there and everything's fine. No, the Christian life is like an airplane. You got to keep growing and keep moving forward in your life. So those are the first two. The third statement is this. Spiritual growth is always what, church? It's always worth it. It's always worth it to grow spiritually. Listen, every time you read this book, it's always worth it. Amen? It's always worth it to go to church, Brother Asperly. It's always worth it to tell somebody else about Christ. It's always worth it to go to Sunday school. It's always worth it to pray. It's always worth it to grow spiritually. So before we get into the next, or the, the rest of the review and the next part of the sermon today, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, for your help. God, that you please give us your Holy Spirit's uh, uh, strength today. Lord, strength to listen, strength to pay attention. Lord, I know that the phone is calling us. I know that 
uh, uh, in and out is calling us. I know that the pressures of life and I know that the distractions of the room sometimes take away from the message. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, please help us to focus on your word. Help us to learn today, but also, Lord, change us where we need to change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to uh, finish reviewing the last couple of weeks. We started talking about the stages of Christian growth, and I decided to go with the old school technology. Amen? Because I was having a hard time with that other thing. So I wanted to show this to you here. We started out talking about uh, uh, Christian, Christian growth, and we understand that to start growing in Christ, we start out with what? We start out with what, church? Faith. Brother Stanley, am I okay? Am I okay here? Okay, good. We start out with faith. Faith, that is the catalyst of our Christian life, the catalyst of growth. All this before faith, all this before faith, the Apostle Paul says it best, I count it as loss for Christ. Because once we come to Christ, our Christian life starts when we come to Christ in faith, and the rest of our life is growing in Christ. We see here, we marked faith as the catalyst, but our hope, Paul says we read in Colossians, our hope is eternal life in heaven. And may I just say that once we are saved and once we are in Christ, we have hope of eternal life. We don't, we don't have to worry about losing our salvation because as we put our faith and trust in Christ, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of works, it's not of yourself, lest any man should boast. If I could keep my salvation, I get to heaven and say, look at how, what a good job I did keeping my salvation. Amen. Thank you. Somebody said, doesn't make sense. That's right. And so faith, and then we understand we increase in the what? We increase in the truth. And so as we read God's word and as we go to church and as we study our Bibles, as we do our devotions and as we have those moments where the Holy Spirit says, I want you to change this or I want you to do this. We have those light bulb moments. And so we start to increase in our faith. What happens when, or in, in truth? What happens when we increase in truth? When we increase in the knowledge of God, we grow in what? We grow in grace. And this is where we see 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse 18. But grow in grace and, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. We understand that when we come to Christ in faith, the only thing that allows us to grow in Christ is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that the natural man doesn't understand spiritual things. Here's what uh, John 14, 26 says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Whatever we learn, whatever we learn, whatever we increase in truth, the Holy Spirit is the one that illuminates us and allows us to see that. And all God's people said, amen, because if you're like me, I'm pretty dense. And the Holy Spirit has to show me. And so we understand that as we grow, as we grow in uh, truth, we increase in knowledge, we also grow in grace. Well, also, let's not forget that these two, grace and truth, are connected. You don't grow in grace without growing in truth. Are you still with me this morning? And as you grow in truth, you grow in grace. What happens if you have grace without truth? You have rebellion. Well, hey, man, God just wants, hey, let's just be cool. God, wants, God doesn't care what we do, man. Come on. Hey, hey, whatever you want to do, live your life, live your own truth, whatever you want to do. God's cool with it. He just loves you, man. He just wants you to, God does love us, but he's also given us a book to follow. Amen. How many understand there's some things he's told us to do? 
Yes, there is grace, and yes, He loves us. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to be sinless. He gives us grace to grow, but He also expects us to grow in truth, and they grow simultaneously. Who was the one who, who perfectly balanced and embodied grace and truth? Jesus Christ. If you read John chapter number one, the Bible says, and the word became flesh that dwelt among us in John chapter number one. And it said, we beheld the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus balances it perfectly because he has truth, but also grace. And so we, we learned about that as we, as, we, as we increase in truth, we grow in grace. And what happens when we grow in grace? We bring forth Fruit. And that's what we want to do. We want to bring forth fruit in our Christian life. We want to be able to have fruit in our life. And so we talked about two stages already. The first stage, does anybody remember what it was called? The learning stage. <laughs> Just cheat a little bit. Come on. And so we talked about the learning stage. And as you, after you get saved, you begin to learn about God. And uh, I remember when I, when I was a kid and you went to Sunday school, right? And you sat in Sunday school and you began learning about God. And then you go to youth group, Brother Dadisho, and you start to learn about God in a different way, in a different level. And then you become, uh, you, you become an adult, and you start to learn about God at even a different level. But our entire Christian life is about learning. But we get into this stage. By the way, when you first come to Christ, most of your life is filled with what? Sin and self. When we first come to Christ, it's all about me. It's all about what I want. Who cares what God wants? It's about what me. And so when we first come to Christ, a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of sin and self in us, and we start to learn about obedience, but we're learning about obedience in God. And then we come to the next stage. Does anybody remember the next stage? Don't put it up there yet. I want to see. Thank you, Brother Asprelli. He has to listen. He's on the platform. Anyways, we get to the what stage? The light bulb stage. As we begin to walk in the Lord, we begin to learn about God, and we begin to grow in grace, we start to have light bulb moments. We talked about this last week. These light bulb moments are when the Holy Spirit says, hey, I don't want you to do that. I don't think that's a good idea. Hey, you probably should. And the Holy Spirit starts to put stuff on our hearts. And we say, we have those light bulb. Man, that makes sense. And, and that, and that's, boy, I never saw that in the Bible before. That never made sense to me until now. And so we have these light bulb moments. But what happens when we have light bulb moments is we begin to obey God more in our life. And we start to see as we obey God more in our life, our sin and self begin to decrease. And just, just, just to encourage you today, if you say, man, I got a lot of sin and self in my life. You never get to the point where you get rid of sin and self out of your life. That won't happen until over here. Amen. So we all have sin and self in our life, but we begin to balance. We begin to see balance of obedience and sin in our life. And so we see, uh, we see that in the light bulb stage, our faith in the word of God grows. And as our faith in the word of God grows, our obedience to the word of God grows. How many are remembering now what I preached on last week? You're kind of starting to remember. All right. A couple of you. All right. Good. And so, so as our obedience in the word of God grows, two things happen. Two things happen. Uh, we grow in our passion for God and we grow in our production for God. Our passion for God and our production for God. One thing I want to point out here. You see this red line? I love this part. See this red line? See this red line? No matter how much you sin, grace is always greater than your sin. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So if you're here or if you're way over here somewhere, sin, it, your grace is always greater than our sin. Paul said where, gra- where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so we grow in our passion for God and in our production for God. How many of you here today want to be passionate for God? Amen. Me too. And I want to grow in that. And so I want to just stop for a moment. I want to talk about some doctrine for a minute. How many ready for some doctrine? 
I guess this is all kind of doctrinal, but we're going to get a little bit deeper here in some doctrine. I want us to understand this morning uh, about something. Somebody asked a question last week. It was an excellent question. And uh, the question is this, Pastor, what if I come to Christ and I get, and I get saved and I never grow? I never increase in truth. I never grow and I just stay unproductive my whole life. Am I really saved? Am I really going to go to heaven when I die? Or is because I become unproductive, God erases part of the line and I end up not making it to heaven because I don't grow and I don't produce in my life? In other words, here's a simple way to ask it is, can I lose my salvation? Can I, can I lose that, that, that thing in my, and that was a great question. I mean, that's a good question. And we ought to understand what, what that question is. And so here's the simple answer. If you have been, here's the operative word, truly saved. If you've come to Christ in your life and you've truly been saved, then you will go to heaven no matter what. Because the work of salvation is, has nothing to do with you or your works. The work of salvation has been done by Christ. And so you say, Pastor, does the Bible say that? Absolutely, it does. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll show you a very powerful passage of Scripture to illustrate this. So the simple answer is, there is nothing you can do between here and here. Once you're truly saved and you come to Christ, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I come to Christ in faith. There is nothing that can happen between here and here. God will always, always keep that line, amen? Because this line is up to the Lord. You might live 20 years, you might live 100 years, but that's up to the Lord, amen? And so, but our growth in him is something that we can, we can do. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. And uh, uh, let's just uh, go up here to verse 1. Paul is talking here. Notice what he says. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto what? Now, he said, and I, what's the next word in the first verse? And I, so is he talking to saved people or unsaved? Saved. So he says, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal. And he goes further to solidify. He's talking to Christians. Even as unto what? Babes in Christ, babies in Christ, people that are immature, but saved. So they've come to Christ in faith, but they're over here in this category. They're babies. They're babies in Christ. I know that's not how you spell it, but just roll with it. Amen. And so they're babies in Christ. And so what Paul's trying to say is here, I cannot talk to you like you're over here. I got to talk to you like you're here. Okay. So that's what he's saying. He says, so these are people that are saved. They're babes in Christ. And by the way, when you're saved, your position is in Christ. And he says, so, so right here, Paul is showing us that there are stages of the Christian life. He says in verse two, he says, I have fed you with what? How many of you like drinking milk? Amen. <laughs> and my son, he's a milk drinker. He'll drink a gallon a day, but milk is usually for babies. Amen. And he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat for here to, hitherto, I like chocolate milk, can I get an amen there? For hitherto, you were not able to bear it, neither now are ye able. He's saying, I'm trying to give you some doctrine, but you're not able to chew it. You're not there yet. You're still here in the baby zone. And so verse three, he says, ye are yet carnal for whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions. He goes on, he talks about how part of the church was all for this guy and part of the church wanted to be like this. And he's saying, listen, that's not the point. You're carnal, you're worldly, you're fleshly here. So it's obvious that believers, these believers had not grown in their production for Christ. I mean, understand what I'm saying. They had not grown. They were stuck in this. They were saved. They had come to faith in Christ, but they were stuck in, they had not grown yet. And so what happens if they stay in this state? 
their whole life, will they still go to heaven? Yes, they will. Paul goes on. Look at what he says here. Uh, he, he says in verse 10, according to the grace of God given unto me, there's that word grace again, as a wise master builder, I have, what does he say? I have laid the foundation, I have poured the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he build thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is what? Jesus Christ. Paul's making it clear here that there's a foundation that has been poured, a foundation that has been made. The work for the foundation is done, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. He made it so that we can go to heaven. The work for that is done. You don't have to lay that foundation again. That foundation has already been laid. Christ has already laid the foundation uh, for salvation. Through his blood, we have remission of sins. And so we cannot relay that foundation. I cannot relay that foundation. It's already there. So Christ has laid this foundation. And so if we could lose our salvation, that means ultimately Christ died for no reason. Why would Christ die for some of my sin? If I come to faith and I believe that he died on the cross and I said, and I'm truly saved and I trust in him as my savior, I come to him and I say, okay, I'm not counting on my works. I'm not counting on my baptism. I'm not counting on my church membership. I'm not counting on my good deeds. Only you, Christ, for by grace are you saved through faith. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The thief on the cross put his faith in Christ. He was never baptized. The thief on the cross never did anything in his life, but Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so faith is through Christ. And what if I live my entire life and I never do anything? We understand today that Christ, the salvation, the foundation has already been laid. And so Paul goes on. Now, now this is where you think, well, he laid the foundation. And yes, I come to Christ in faith. But what if I choose to walk away at some point over here? Now, let's look at this. Look at what Paul says. Look at verse 12. Now, if any man build upon the foundation, so the foundation is laid, I'm saved. Amen? I'm saved. The foundation of Christ, the blood of Christ. Now, he builds upon that foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, hay, and stubble. The things I do after salvation, the work after salvation Every man's work shall be made manifest, and the day shall declare it, because it shall be re revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's what, church? Work. Every man's what? doesn't say it's going to try our salvation. It's going to try our work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but himself shall be saved, what? Yet as Yet so as by fire. Would you say that phrase with me? Yet so as by fire. One more time. Yet so. Let's read verse 15 together. Ready to begin. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Paul is saying, if you've come to Christ and you're really saved, if you never did anything in your life worth anything, you're still going to heaven, but so as by fire. And all this stuff that we did that we thought was great, it's all going to burn and we're going to suffer loss. Anything that I did uh, in my own pride and anything I did for myself. And uh, I think about people who, who spend their life and, and, and listen, I'm not against having a home or anything like that, but they spend everything in their life about amassing wealth and having all these things. You can't take it with you and you're going to give it to your kids and they're just going to burn it up. And so you're going to go to heaven and all those things are wonderful. And I'm glad for blessings, but listen, only what's done for Christ will last. The only thing that's done for him will last. Everything else is good, but guess what? You'll be saved, and that's a blessing. Amen. 
And so can a person lose their salvation? The answer is no. Once you're saved, you're saved. Now, if you disagree with that, we don't have to be enemies. We can still be friends. Amen. And I have a 24-page paper that I've written on eternal security. If you want to see me, I'd love to print it out for you. You can read through it. So we want to have, though, in our life, we want to have this thing right here. We want to have fruit that remains. That's the goal. And so I don't want to, I don't want to live my life and get to the other end and try to you know, see how much how much I can get away with. No, I want to live my life and I want to have fruit to show. And so let's get into this next stage here. We see the learning stage. We see the light bulb stage. How many are with me so far? I know I spoke speaking really fast. I'm sorry. I need to slow down a little bit. I had a lady in our church back when I first started. She goes, every Sunday, she goes, pastor, you need to slow down. Amen. And so, all right, I'll slow down a little bit. So we're going to get into this new stage and I'm excited about this. Now remember that uh, when, when, when we get saved, the Christian life is not linear. You'll always be in the learning stage. Amen? I said, we'll always be in the learning stage. How many are learning things in your life? <laughs> we'll always be in the light bulb stage. The Holy Spirit will always be talking to you. And then the next stage here that, that I really, really, uh, it's a wonderful stage. And we're going to, this is called the loving God stage. Now notice where I do this line down here. Because as you start to love God and you start to fall in love with God, your obedience to God grows. And your focus on sin and self shrinks. You'll never get rid of sin, but there should come a point in a Christian life, in our Christian growth, growth, where our sin is the exception and our obedience is how we live most of our life. Now, we all fail. I'm a, I'm a sinner just like you. I sin every day of my life, and so do you. We will never get to the point where this is nothing, but it ought to be. A, there ought to come a point when we start to really Obey God in our life. And all God's people said, amen. So the question is, in my mind, how do we love God? How do we fall in love with God? How do we demonstrate love towards God? What does it mean to love God? Well, let's go to Mark chapter number 12. And I'm going to draw out of Mark 12, just two quick points. A lot of review today, but just two quick points today. Mark chapter 12. Would you turn there with me, please? We're going to read a story. Jesus, of course, is walking around and and uh, healing people and um, preaching. And people at different times in the New Testament will ask him questions. How many can't wait to ask God questions? Can't wait to ask him some questions. And uh, like, where's the in and out, Lord? No, I'm just kidding. And uh, I shouldn't say that. And uh, no, a lot, of, a lot of questions. I can't wait to ask him those questions. But here, here's, uh, here's, here's a, somebody that comes up to Christ here. And if you look at verse 28 of Mark chapter 12, it says, and one of the scribes came having heard them reasoning together and perceived that, perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, would you read the next phrase with me? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Read the next verse with me. Ready to begin. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And so Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God. And so as we grow in our Christian life, we want to get to the stage where we are loving God. Now, the question is this morning, how do we do that? How do we get to the point where we could honestly, truthfully say that we love God? And how do we demonstrate that love? And how do we grow in that love? Well, I see a couple of clues here in this passage 
that I think will help us today. Let me give you point number one if you're taking notes. First of all, how do we show love for God? Our love is shown through surrender. Our love is shown through surrender. If you look at verse 28 again, this scribe comes to him and he asks this question and he says, what is the first commandment of all? But if you read into the story a little bit, you can see that the scribe isn't really interested in having a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not interested in having a, uh, calling him God and having him be his God. What this scribe was after is what could he do? What rules could he follow to justify himself? What's the greatest commandment? What can I do? What can I do to be, to be right with God, to, to inherit eternal life? To, and we see people asking this, what, what do I need to do? And what Jesus was trying to say to him is, listen, it's not about rules. It's about love. It's about a relationship. And as we grow in our, as we grow in truth and we learn about God, we get out of this phase of our Christian life where it's, oh, it's just a bunch of rules. Oh, they just want me to, you know, whatever. They, they just don't want me to do this. And, and, and we have this attitude of, uh, uh, of, I just don't want to follow the rules. And we start to realize that it's not about the rules. I don't, I don't follow the rules because I have to follow the rules. No, no, no. I do what I do for the Lord because I love him. Now, let me illustrate it this way. How many of you understand that a marriage isn't built on rules? Now, if you break the rules, you might die. <laughs> Those of you that know my wife, she was here at the early service. I pointed her out this morning. If, you know, if I broke the rules of my marriage, let me tell you, you wouldn't find my body. I don't know what happened to him. By the way, if you're joining us live stream, thank you for joining us this morning. Amen. But the marriage relationship is built on love, a, a relationship. And there's a lot that goes into the relationship. We'll talk about that in a moment, but stick with me here. I don't say to my wife, I love you, baby. Well, I love you too. Then keep my commandments. It's not about that. Boom. Amen. And <laughs> so. See you next week. Um, by the way, fellas, just so you know, Valentine's Day is coming up. You're welcome. We don't, we don't say our vows at the altar and break our vows. We keep our vows, amen? But the relationship is built on love. There's something that has to take place in a marriage that we don't think about very often, but it's true. In marriage, we have to surrender to each other. We have to surrender to each other. And this isn't a message about marriage, but if you have a good marriage today, you know what I'm talking about. There is surrender there. You surrender your rights in your life to that person, and they do the same for you. And that's what a great marriage is built upon, by the way, and other things as well. But you surrender your finances one to another. You don't go and buy whatever you want and tell her she can't, and you don't go buy whatever you want and tell him he can't. No, you surrender the budget to each Boy, I'm making some people mad this morning. I got to move on. And so, but it's, it's built on surrender. And by the way, that's supposed to be voluntary. Amen. The same goes with our relationship to God. Can I ask you a question? Why do we love God? First John chapter 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. See, God took the first step towards us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God took the first step of love towards us, and we are supposed to reciprocate in love back to him. But God first loved us, and what does God expect in return for love? He expects surrender. That's all. Surrender. And this is what Christ is saying. Love the Lord thy God with what? All. That's right. Amen. She's got it. What's the word there? All, right? Does he say, uh, love the Lord thy God with some of thy heart? Love the Lord thy God with a little bit? No, with how much? All. Oh, that's total, complete surrender. 
<clears throat> this is what God, <clears throat> my voice is about gone. <clears throat> How many pray for me? I just want to, got to get through the end of this last lap. <clears throat> Amen. But that's what he's after. He's after our love. He wa- Listen, you think, oh, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to sit there. I don't want to sing these songs. And God's just saying, listen, I just want you to love me. That's what I want. I, I sent my son to die on the cross for you while you were yet a sinner. I sent him to die on the cross for your sins. I want you to love me. That's what he wants. That's it. <laughs> well, I just think a church is all about rules. And if, you know, if they want me to wear a tie, then I'm not going to. Listen, it's not about wearing a tie. It's not about bringing your Bible. All those things are whatever. All I'm saying is, is God wants you to love him. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. By the way, you say, Pastor, why do you wear a suit and a tie? Because I look young and I want to look like I'm important. Amen. So (laughs) listen, God is after our love. So what does this mean? What does it mean to love with all of our hearts? When When we love with all of our hearts and we surrender to him with all of our hearts, that is our affection. That is our affection. There should be nothing else in our life that we love more than God. Nothing. I love him. We ought to love him more than we love ourselves. We ought to love him more than we love our friends. We ought to love him more than we love our boyfriend. We ought to love him more than we love our money. We ought to love him more than we love our job. We ought to love him more than we love our Corvette. We ought to love him more than we love golf. We ought to love God more than anything. Jesus said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That means your affection belongs to God. We ought to love God more than our addiction. We ought to love God more than we love our sin. That's why we don't sin, not because we're trying to follow the rules. We don't sin because we want to love God more than we love our sin. By the way, when you sin, it ought to hurt. If you're saved today and you have the Holy Spirit in your life, when you sin, it ought to hurt you. You ought to feel it because you love God. Hey, does God have our affection today? Is God, do you love God more than anything else today? Or is everything else more important than God? Do you love God more than your friends today? Do you love God more than what you have in your bank account today? Do you love God today? You'll, you'll know that by what your affection is set on. When you love God with all your heart, you surrender that affection. When you love God with all your soul, that's our ambition. I read that before and I thought, what does it mean to love God with all of our soul? It's our ambition. It's what motivates us. If I love God, it won't be about me. If I love God, it's not about my self-provotion or my self-preservation. If I love God, I won't be motivated by uh, me increasing. My motivation will be Him increasing and me decreasing. What is my motivation today? And what is your motivation today? And listen, I love coming to church and I love being in church and I love you people so much and I love seeing the people of God every Sunday. But the day that I come to church for you and the day that I stop coming to church for Him, I'm in big trouble. When I first started as pastor here, there was a little family that started coming, and I just spent a lot of time with them and, and loving on them. And, and I love it when they walked through that back door, Brother Ennis, and my heart just skipped a beat, and I was so excited to see them. And then they stopped coming. They stopped coming. And boy, that was like a knife in my heart. And you know what? Every time they didn't come for many months, I just grieved in my soul because it was more important to me that I was here for, with them than I was here for him. Well, I'm telling you something. This morning, today, I tell you, I'm glad that you're here. And I'm sure you're glad that I'm here. But we ought not come to church for other people. We don't come to other church for our family. We don't come to other church for our spouse. We don't come to church for our kids. We come to church because we love God. 
Because there's going to come a day, and there may come a day in your life when your spouse stops going with you, or your kids say, I'm not going with you, or your friends say, forget you, I'm not going with you, and you're going to have to say, well, I'm sorry, I want you to come with me, but I'm not going because of you anyways. I'm going because I love the Lord. I think about some people in our church today. They come every single Sunday by themselves, and my heart goes out to you, and I feel your pain as you come by yourself. But listen, what a testimony. I said, what a testimony. I said, what a testimony. I pray to God that I have that kind of love for God, that I would go to church if my wife said, I'm not going with you, that I go to church if my kids say, I'm not going with you. I pray to God that I have that kind of faith and my kind of love for God in my life, that I go to church by myself. But we don't go to church for anyone else, because of, but for God, because we love him. Well, it's such an inconvenience coming to church. Not if you love God. I said, not if you love God. It's not an inconvenience when you love God. I'm going to tell you something. I'd do anything for my family. I'd kill for my kids, wouldn't you? I'd drive to the end of the world and back if they needed something. That's how we ought to be with God. I would do that for my family, Brother Renison, because I love them. We ought to do that for God because we love him. Well, it's such an inconvenience. I mean, I tell you, it's just we're so busy. Not when you love God. I said, not when you love God. When you love God, you can't get busy enough to stay away from God. When you love God, there's nothing in your life that will keep you from this book. When you love God, your prayer time is more important than anything else in your life. When you love God, you got to love God. And we got to grow in our love for God. And that's our motivation. What motivates you? What motivates you? Amen. Our hearts, when they're surrendered to him, that's our affection. When our soul is surrendered to him, that's our what, church? Our what? Ambition. I'm just getting you ready for tonight. Brother Cooper is coming. Amen. <laughs> Trying to warm you up a little bit here. Lastly, not, not lastly here, but when he says, Jesus says, we ought to love him with all of our mind. What does he mean by that? Well, that's our attention. That's our attention. What's the meditation of your heart today? What's the meditation of your heart today? The Bible tells us in many verses, we ought to meditate. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength, my redeemer. Psalms 104, my meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Psalms 119, 97, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, but I'll meditate therein day and night. Then thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Psalm 77, verse 12, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of all thy doings. Oh, my soul, our minds today are so filled with garbage. We ought not let politics control our mind. Right. You ought not let Rush Limbaugh control your mind. Can I get a witness there? We ought not let Fox News and CNN News and Twitter and Facebook. We ought not let our friend, neighbor across the street. We ought not let things like that control our minds. No, no, no. Our minds ought to be stayed upon him. Our minds ought to be focused on Christ. We ought to be thinking what we got out of our Bible that day. We ought to be thinking about what we need to pray for that day. We ought to be thinking about somebody else that day instead of thinking about politics and thinking about what's wrong with everything in the world. And I understand the world is falling apart around us. And I understand our country is falling apart around us. But listen today. We need to keep our minds on Christ. Amen. Keep our minds on Him. Oh, let our minds be stayed upon Thee. What are you thinking about today? We ought not let flat, we ought not allow our flesh to control our minds. Fear and anger and bitterness and covetousness should not consume the mind of the child of God. Some of us, all we think about is our friends. 
All we think about is what our, our friends, did I get enough likes on Facebook? Do my friends notice what I, all we think about is our friends. All we think about is our girlfriend. Boy, what is she, is she okay? Is she all right? All we think about is our boyfriend. All we think about is this. All we think about is what our coworkers think. Listen, let's just start thinking about God and have, have your attention set on him. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, love the Lord thy God with all thy mind. All thy mind. Everybody okay? All right, we're moving on here. Love the Lord thy God with all thy strength. When we surrender our strength, this is our actions. Actions speak louder than words. Brother, Brother Galang, happy birthday, by the way. Brother Galang, when Valentine's Day comes around, your wife wants to see some flowers, amen? She wants to see a card. She wants to see something. She doesn't want you to walk in the room and go, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot Valentine's Day, but I love you. You can say you love somebody, but we need to show them once in a while. And, and I just may I just say, that's the same with God. God wants to see it in our actions. How do we grow in our relationship with God? First thing is surrender. Our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength. I need to move on. Number two, how do we grow in God? Grow in God? This is very quick here, but our love is shown through sacrifice. Our love is shown through sacrifice. Take your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 12. I'll be done with this point so fast you won't believe it. Mark chapter number 12. <clears throat> I can't eat in and out for lunch because I ate it last night. And I guess that's bad for you to eat it two meals in a row. So... Um, <clears throat> Romans chapter number 12, look at verse 1. Would you read it with me? Ready to begin. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If you're watching in the room today or you're watching online today, as we begin to grow and increase in truth and in God's word, we begin to learn about God. We begin to learn about the Bible and about doctrine and about truth. And then we begin to obey and we have those light bulb moments and we begin to see, man, when I obey God, it's so much better to obey God than to do what I want to do. How many have learned that in your life? And so we start to grow. We have these light bulb moments and then we start to love God. And what happens when we start to love God is we start to sacrifice. We start to sacrifice for God. I mentioned before, about us loving our families. Brother DeLuna, is there anything you wouldn't do for your wife? You'd do anything for her. How many of you say, I would, I would do anything if my family needed it, I, I would do it. Why? We love them. I'd do anything for my kids. I'd do anything for my wife. I, I, I would do anything. I absolutely, absolutely, if it, took my, if it took my life, Brother John was here, his family's here. This hour, John with work last night was here. He sat right here. I said, John, I said, would you, <laughs> I said, would you, uh, I said, would you, uh, would you die for your family? He said, in a heartbeat. And I said, John, would you kill for your family? He said, even, he said, even easier, amen. And so, <laughs> that was so funny. And uh, amen, even easier. Somebody might say that they love God, but the proof is in the pudding. Actions speak louder than words. And so you might be asking yourself, I don't really know if I love God. Then look at your life. What's going on in your life? Now listen, I'll freely admit to you, I fail in this area. I want to love God more in my life. But if you look at your life today, you can easily see what you love. It's where you spend your time. It's what you sacrifice for. When you see in your life what you sacrifice for, you will see what you love the most. And maybe today, everything's about a job or everything's about a hobby or everything's about your friends or everything's about your boyfriend, all of these things, girlfriend, then you'll see where your, your love lies. Because loving God takes sacrifice. 
Loving God says, you know what? I would sure like to sleep in this morning. I've been working hard all week. I've been getting up early. I've been working a lot, but you know what? I'm going to sacrifice those few hours of sleep. I'm going to go worship God at church. uh, Sacrifices, you know what? I don't have, there's not enough money in the bank uh, for me to do what I need to do this month, but you know what? I'm going to have faith in God. I'm going to put a couple bucks in the offering plate and I'm going to do that. That takes sacrifice. Uh, Taking sacrifice is stepping out of your comfort zone to tell somebody else about Christ that you don't really want to talk to or you're worried about ruining a relationship or whatever. It takes sacrifice to love God. Sacrifice. But that's what we're called to do. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. This is what's acceptable and holy. This is what God wants from us. I don't know about you, but as I look at my life, I see a lot of things I sacrifice for that don't mean a hill of beans. I mean, a lot of things. And so in my life and in your life today, we just need to work on that surrendering and sacrificing for God. For those in the room today that are saved, we recognize that serving God is not a sacrifice, actually. When you start to love God, this word disappears and it becomes a blessing. I don't do things for my wife because I have to. I love her. That's where we ought to be with God. I don't come to church. I don't come to church to make somebody else happy. I come to church because I love God. I don't come to church because I want my friends to be impressed by me. No, no, no. I go to church because I love God. That's where we want to be, the loving God stage. As we close the message today, someone once said this, when I give a spoonful to God, he gives a shovel back. Whatever you sacrifice for Lord, whatever you sacrifice for him, how many of you have learned in your life, he dumps it back on you a hundredfold. So really that word sacrifice isn't really a sacrifice. It's a privilege. For those of you here that are not saved, can I just ask you today, would you consider starting right here? Put your faith and trust in Christ today. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it.